Acts chapter 7, we covered uh, a whole, basically the whole chapter last week, which is an impossibility, but be that as it may. Uh, we got the overview, what we call History 101, uh, at least not world history, but at least Jewish history 101, and uh, the key characters and the movements of things. We talked a bit about that. Got up to the point in verse 51 where Stephen, after he had rehearsed this history lesson, uh, you know, to just talk about the patience and, and mercy of God uh, against stubborn people, uh, he, he then just kind of pushed over and uh, certainly pushed the envelope. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through, through angels, but have not obeyed it. And so these very in-your-face about their past patterns, historically, the people of God and the current group of uh, religious leaders that are hearing his defense. Keep in mind, again, he's making this appeal in this uh, side room of the temple sanctuary, and all of the hewn stone that was there and, and the semicircle of 70 religious leaders plus one, the high priest, the 71. We'll talk about them a little bit today uh, and making his defense. And he is definitely in the minority in terms of that situation. And we left it right there last week up to that point. So now we find out today what happens and of course you know this spoiler alert you probably already know what happens but uh, I wanted to talk about that a bit this morning so where they stone Stephen so let me read the scripture then we'll back up a little bit and then we'll come into things verse 54 when they heard this the religious leaders the Sanhedrin they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When, they, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea. And Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, and going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Down through verse 4. 
So the message title here is called From Catastrophe to Opportunity. Um, if you were the family of Stephen and he was having his day in court, you would not expect the response that came. You would not expect the outcome. You would not expect that instead of having some kind of reasonable defense and a reasoned response, that you end up going to a funeral. You, you don't expect that in terms of the process. There are things that come in our life, we call them disastrous. They take on a number of forms. You, you don't, all you have to do is turn the television on or listen to the radio and you'll find out that there are all kinds of things that happen. And, and sometimes things happen and we say, God, how, what are you doing in that? What's the purpose of that? What, what's the purpose of that search? A couple of weeks ago now, uh, the U.S. Uh, took a, an action against an Iranian uh, uh, terrorist. terrorist. There we go. I was going to thug, but anyway, terrorist. There's the word. Um, and, and it resulted in his death. And subsequently, there was an airliner that was shot down, mistaken, inadvertently, or whatever. Let, let, let me figure that out. But there were like 175, 180 people, something like that, that were killed. And you say, wow, what, how tragic is that? And it is. It is. You wonder how God can bring about something out of the tragedies or catastrophes in our, in our life. Um, I remember when we were in uh, upstate New York, we were pastoring a church up there, and uh, uh, we received word that there had been a dam that broke in Georgia, Tocoa, Georgia, Tocoa Falls. And it went down through the college that was there, and several people were killed. And you say, God, how? But this is a Christian college. How? What purpose does that serve? What what can come out of that? Um, even further back, if I'm really dating myself on this one, I would have been about all of eight years old when an event took place in South America in the country of Ecuador where there were five missionaries that had gone into a tribe of Indians, Alca Indians, attempting to try to reach them or build bridges to them they landed. They'd had some previous success and positive response in terms of things that they had gifted and done and whatnot. And they went in, landed, and they were all killed. January 5th, I think. 1950. So, so, yeah, yeah, it was a long while ago. I, I, was, I was a very young boy. And you kind of wonder, God, what, what's the purpose in that? What, what could come out of that? How could that come from catastrophe to something good? But the thing to keep in mind is that even in the midst of all of those catastrophes, God still is in control and he has ways of bringing about that stuff to accomplish his purpose and his glory. There, were, there, are, there are now uh, Christian witness and presence in that Alka India group, Alka Indian group, that, are, that, that has endured... Uh, uh, that came as a result of the sacrifice of those missionaries. Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, those kinds of things. Jim Elliott line, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to, to save what he cannot lose. Th those kinds of things. 
So there are some positive things that indeed can come out. There were, I, I remember subsequently to that event in, in Ecuador, uh, that there were people who actually went into missionary work because of that tragedy. They, they sensed that call of God to kind of fill in the ranks to, to help in the, in the task of getting the message of the gospel. Those kinds of things can happen. So last week we left Stephen. He was giving his defense. And before uh, they got the response, it was a reasoned apologetic. That's where we left it. So the response was anything but reason. It, it certainly took a different direction, and at least in Stephen's life for sure, and, and the fledgling church was altered in its path or trajectory from that point on. Uh, it's, it's going to be very different now for this church. So let's, let's come back and look at a couple things first. First, I want you to look at the disproportionate response that was catastrophic. So here's a catastrophe they deal with, and it was disproportionate. Here's a man trying to give a reasoned defense Church History 101 to the Jewish people, and they end up dragging him out and killing him. That's not what you call fair trial. That's not what you call justice. That's simply hatred and anger and revenge being vented upon somebody who has been bucking the system, who has been standing for Christ, uh, standing for the Messiah, standing for the anointed one. A couple things I just want to remind you about. That when the tragedies of life strike, there are some things you need to remember. So let me give them to you real quick. It's not in, in the thing up there, so just listen for a moment. Remember first that Satan is not sovereign. God is. Satan is not sovereign. God is. God uses natural disasters to demonstrate his power, his justice, and mercy. And it's not that he's causing them. It's that the groaning of this whole world and the things that occur in our world fit into his grander plan and scheme, his sovereign work and will. And he has ways of using even the natural disasters of our world to demonstrate his justice, his mercy, his power. All of creation groans in our world. When those natural disasters, tsunami, earthquakes, whatever they are, when those things, that's all, that's all symptomatic of the groaning of the earth. It, 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 it's laboring under that. So the scriptures talk about the whole earth groans together, waiting for a day of redemption that God has in mind to give to uh, this world and to us. And we should respond with compassion to all those who suffer, no matter what their faith. You know, we we're talking about the Morocco situation and the mission focus. And, you know, they persecute the church, the very few Christians, that kind of thing. It would be real easy to say, God, if that's the way they're going to be, let them go to hell. Excuse my French. It would be real easy to say that. If that's the way they're going to treat it, then just, all right, forget that. Wipe your hands of it and just go on. So, But yet, when disaster occurs, we still are called to be people who are salt and light and, and demonstrate the mercy and love of God. And so we need to exercise compassion. So regardless of what the natural, natural disasters are that occur around us, we still have opportunity to respond. A week ago, <coughs> excuse me, a week and a half now, uh, Puerto Rico experienced another series of earthquakes. Its ministry there was affected by that. Um, you know, you had that website listing on terms of your bulletin. Check that out. There were updates there in terms of what 
can be done with Comma Services, which is the relief arm of the Alliance, what they are doing and what can be done. Uh, there will probably be other initiatives that come moving forward. But they're just getting recovered from 2017. You know, they're just still, you know, it's you don't have to go very far to see disaster stuff. But we are called to be people of compassion. And one more thing is that sometimes we don't always see uh, in the beginning of a tragedy what God intends to do in the end. And so we have to trust him to be able to help us see what he can bring about for his greater glory. I want to look at two groups in terms of response today. The first group is uh, <coughs> the 71. The 71, that's the 70 Sanhedrin plus the high priest. And their response, and this is the language of, of the Acts 7 passage. They were furious. That is literally means they were cut to the heart. Teeth gnashing. I don't. I don't know. You know what that would look like. You know, like a bunch of beavers or woodchucks. I don't know what that would be. Grinding of teeth. It could be a couple things there. Ear covering. I want to hear this. Yelling loud. Bull rushing. Accused dragging. Stone throwing. Religious leaders. None of those descriptions ought to fit a religious leader. It would seem to be. But that's where they come up uh, being described. That's that's their response. That's seventy one. Now you got this. Lonely one person by the name of Stephen, and his response is there too. Notice the difference. Spirit-filled, heavenward-looking, glory-seeing, testifying, forgivingly praying, table-waiting man. Now, I, I love putting those words together to describe them because they're all just part of the description of Stephen in terms of his response. And so he's, he's saying, you know, they're, they're about to do him in, and he says, I see the heavens open, and there's Jesus. These guys couldn't see Jesus, but he could, even in the midst of that trauma. So there's this disproportionate response to that, the, to that event that was catastrophic. It certainly, uh, certainly uh, almost an incredible response, the 71 and the 1, the two different kind of things. Some people respond to things differently, obviously, and it was the case here for the Sanhedrin and for Stephen. For Stephen, death was simply a window to see Jesus. It was a doorway to join Jesus. And it was an occasion to reflect Jesus. And all of that is very true of his response as you read it there. This connection shows that the way to die in the power of the Holy Spirit is also the way to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you get, maybe it happens when you get older. I, 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 don't, I don't know if you give much, I think, I think older people give much more thought to dying and what's going to happen. Um, what's going to happen at your home with all the stuff that's accumulated? You know, uh, when my dad passed away, he, he, was, a, he was a machinist by trade and a pack rat by habit. And he had tools, and he had screws and bolts and nuts and all kinds of things that he had that, you know, anything needed to be fixed. You can find it down at Charlie's basement, you know, that kind of thing. When he passed away, we had all this crap to deal with, you know, just all this stuff. So, you know, I don't know if you begin to think about that when you get older and say, I better get rid of 
some of this stuff, make it easier on the person that I'm leaving behind. You know, I don't know if you, what you give, if you give thought to those things as you get older, but the way to die is the way to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We do that now. So when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to behold and to love the glory of God, and you see and know that Jesus is alive and triumphant at God's right hand, when the Spirit gives you the will to say, as Stephen did, Jesus, there's no place I would rather die. I'd rather be than with you. Receive me. Then the beauty and the power of Jesus will enter your life and hopelessness and self-pity and resentment and bitterness will be consumed by the presence of Christ and by the hope of glory. It's a wonderful picture of Stephen in the midst of persecution that's about to blast off for all of the church. It's a wonderful picture of a Christ-like, spirit-filled response to the problem that comes and faces him head on. It's a disproportionate response that was catastrophic in its background, catastrophic in its scope of the response. <coughs> now, as you get into the eighth chapter, as you just kind of turn the corner, you, you are introduced to another character. We've been talking about, and we'll deal with this next week a little bit, the concept of succession. Um, Stephen was in the midst of a group of people who were part of a succession. Uh, Acts chapter, the first, the first few chapters talk about a lot about Peter. And then you have John in there as well. And then, and then you have some other characters, a character named Barnabas who shows up. You have, you have uh, a switch a little bit from, from Peter and John to now uh, Stephen. And eventually, next week, we're going to run into Philip. And then there are, so it, there's a succession. You always, you always are, are, are part of a succession. That's the intent. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And so we just keep on passing along the faith. And we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. That, that much we know. Um, but in this response that comes, here we're going to talk about an unanticipated response that was routine altering. So, so here's what happens. They, the early church, this fledgling church, probably didn't see the intensity of this tsunami of persecution that was going to come at them. They know that they have had some problems in the past. They're trying to throw them into jail, put them in prison, God busted them out. All those kinds of things occurred. So they know persecution was not unfamiliar, but boy, the intensity of it now is going to kick up. And it's almost like Emerald Logasi. You know, we're going to kick this thing up a notch. And uh, here's, here's the way it goes. Here's the way it goes. So it altered the routine. We are people who like routine. We, we like things manageable and comfortable. And so when things get bumped out of that, it tends to cause us to be anxious or fearful or angry or frustrated uh, too often is our response. It altered a man named Saul. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 58 says he, he was there. He was taking care of garments. 
uh, the end of verse uh, 58 said, uh, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Chapter 8, verse 1 says that he was there giving approval to Stephen's death. And then very shortly after, when you come to verse 3 of the 8th chapter, he, he now turns into a church-destroying, Christian-imprisoning uh, zealot uh, for, for the Jews, if you will. So it, it altered Saul's life, but it also altered every follower of Christ. In chapter 6, verse 7 uh, of, of Acts, if you, if you were to back up, it says, it, it says they, pre, they presented these men. This is this group of, of, uh, of deacons, if you will, or, or table waiters. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. Um, you, you never know what you're going to get when you volunteer to do something, when the Spirit of God appoints you. Uh, you might think, I'm going to... This is going to be a piece of cake. I can handle this. But then suddenly it gets kicked up to another level. And you have to be ready, empowered by the Spirit, to handle whatever comes. But it altered every follower of Christ. Here they lose a key leader in terms of Stephen. They lose their safety and their security. They lose their togetherness. They lose close contact with the apostles because the scriptures say, that everything, everyone, everyone except the apostles were scattered. They were dispersed. And it, it doesn't say that they decided to make a change and go, that they moved. It says that they were scattered. They didn't scatter themselves. They were scattered. The persecution had that effect. And that altered their routine. Sometimes a change in a routine can be a catalyst to growth. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes a change in the routine can be a catalyst to growth. Sometimes we can just get very, very comfortable in our rut. And sometimes God allows things to come into our life to push us out of that rut. It may be a need that you see and you respond to it. It may be something that comes to your doorstep that used to be going to somebody else's doorstep, and now you have the opportunity to step up to the plate. The opportunity to respond, and so it may alter some things. The stories of people whose lives have been changed because they took the time to contact someone or, or be of help and service to someone ended up sometimes in starting ministries or starting a movement of, of care for people just from the simplest of things. But that change in routine can be a catalyst to growth. It can be a positive thing that we can do. I came across an interesting prayer that someone suggested that you might make. And so here's, what I, here's, here's how it happened. What might happen if we began to pray? Now, there we go. What might happen if we began to pray, Lord, do things I am not used to. I want you to chew on that this week. Lord, do things that I'm not used to. That's inviting the presence of the Spirit of God to bring things into my life that are unexpected, unanticipated, like this persecution wave that breaks out, breaks out against the Christ followers. What might happen if we began to pray, Lord, do things I'm not used to? Uh, I, I know that, you know, it's been well over a year now, and all of the change that's gone on at City Light here, that kind of thing. You probably were not praying, Lord, do something unusual and change us up a little bit. I, I, my guess is it probably was not the prayer that was being offered. 
But we can we can certainly understand that when God causes change to occur and the routine is upset, it can alter us and it can cause us to grow toward him. And that my prayer would be that. That God, in the midst of all of the this transitional kind of thing that seems like it's taking forever and ever, that you'd cause us to grow. There are some people who are probably stepping up to the plate that maybe didn't step up to the plate before. There are some people who decided to vote with their feet and go somewhere else because this was too uncomfortable. Things got altered around. But as we've talked about before here today about the place and priority of prayer, even when we are beginning to make that prayer, Lord, do things I'm not used to, that becomes an opportunity for us to see what God can do in our midst. So there was this unanticipated, unanticipated response that was altering the routine of the followers of Christ. One more piece. I think we're going to come back to this a little bit more next week as well. And that is that there was an unleashed church that took an opportunity, an unleashed church. Now, when things get tough, you know, <laughs> when the going gets tough, the tough get going is the old turn of phrase, you know. Um, but when things get tough, sometimes we have a tendency to cave in instead of trying to see what the opportunity is. I'm sure that for the family of Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and uh, the other the three uh, fellows that uh, gave their lives, they were probably trying to figure out, God, what are you up to in this? Here, here's, here's a guy who went to Bible college. He was, loved to fly. He, 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 he gave himself to that kind of ministry and, and spent time uh, interning and, and getting everything all in order to be able to go into this tri tribal ministry in Ecuador. How are you accomplishing your purpose? You're certainly altering the routine of things. What are you trying to do? And yet there was this opportunity for the church to see the difficulty that was coming, the catastrophe that was there. And they found in it an opportunity. In, in this uh, particular verse 4, uh, there's a, there's a, in the New International Version translation, there's a word that's missing. And I still scratch my head why they decided to leave it out. In some other translations, they do include it. And the missing word is the word, therefore. It's in verse 4. Uh, and New American Standard translates it and says, uh, says therefore, um, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. In other words, the events that occurred before led to a conclusion. When, this, when the persecution came, it led to a conclusion that something this church was going to be unleashed and it was unleashed in a scope and a, 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 a direction that no one had had thought of. Stephen was stoned to death. Therefore, the church was brutally attacked. Therefore, Christians were dragged out of their homes. Therefore, something happened. They were put in prison. Therefore, something happened. They were scattered in many places. Therefore, it's it's a word that, that's there in the language of. 8.4, but isn't showing up in translation. And when God puts a therefore, you really need to know what it's there for, I guess. And it is therefore to lead us to a point of conclusion in terms of trusting God, uh, what would happen. So what happens as a result of this persecution? Three things. First thing is that they were scattered. That's, that's not a, this isn't a huge mystery. You can read that. Those who had been scattered, 
again, you can see it's not they scattered themselves. It came as a result of persecution. They were scattered. It literally means to sow seeds. So when you hear or this phrase in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 4, that they were scattered, think, think parable of the sower. Think parable of the sower. Where the sower goes out and the seed is scattered. It, now, I love to garden, and when I plant stuff, I, I'm very particular about where, you know, I don't just get all the peas and the beans and the beets and I mix them in a the big thing and say, whoopee, you know, because uh, I don't want to be fussing around trying to figure out which is a beet and which is not, you know. I mean, I know eventually I'll figure it out, but, but I, I like things in a nice row if we can get them that way, you know. And I, try, I like to do wide row planting if I can to try to economize the amount of space I've got so I can get a lot tucked in. And so I, there's a method. To, so here the method is they simply were scattered. And this parable of the sower is one that in Matthew 13 that, you know, the seed is scattered. And this falls on different kinds of soil and that kind of thing. So there, there's the sending of the message or the scattering of the seed. God used persecution the world to scatter the church into the world so that the church could bless the world with the good news of Jesus. One more time. God used persecution from the world to scatter the church into the world so that the church could bless the world with the good news of Jesus. The church could not bless the world as long as it stayed together in one place. As long as the church stayed in Jerusalem, it was relatively safe. The believers had good fellowship with each other. They saw many people come to Christ, but they could not reach the world if they stayed in Jerusalem. In Acts 1.8, you should have a little bit of a clue that this was going to happen. And you shall, buy my, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. That's the key verse of Acts, Acts, book of Acts. It's just kind of like the plan of how it's all going to unfold. They might have missed it. But persecution enabled them not to miss it. God used that persecution to scatter the church. Perhaps the church might have left Jerusalem eventually. After all, they had the Great Commission. They probably would have thought about it. But maybe, maybe kind of like, like Abraham went as far as Haran and got stuck there. God had to provide a little bit of a push. Maybe the persecution was simply God's push to try to get them moving along. The church was much more effective scattered than gathered. Going where the people were, they reached far more people than they could have reached by staying in Jerusalem. There, there were only so many people who would ever travel to Jerusalem, but by scattering, they could now reach the whole world. We sometimes forget that that can be part of the plan of God. Reflect back for a little bit to the church in China. In the late 1949 Boxer Rebellion, go back history, dig, dig around a bit, you find that the church, the church was essentially, all Christians were essentially kicked out of China in the nationalization or whatever government regulation of the church. They were all, and the church essentially began to be uh, going underground, persecuted. And it was not till many years later, 1980s, that they found out eventually what had happened to the church. And when they went back, they found that this church had not died, but indeed had grown, grown amazingly as a result of persecution. And when there's still that still goes on in China today. 
and in many other nations as well. But that persecution was a means by which God grew his people. God grew the church. So the church continued to do the very thing they got into trouble with in the first place, when they were scattered. The Jewish leader stoned Stephen because he courageously preached Jesus. He was stoned. The church was persecuted. Believers were jailed. Then they were scattered in many places. And what did they do in those many places? The same thing that got them into trouble in the first place. They simply stood for Christ. God blessed those early Christians as they followed him. No wonder they were able to turn the world upside down because they chose to follow Christ regardless of consequence. So they were scattered. They were speaking out. There's another word that is used to describe them in verse 4. Wherever they went, wherever they preached, wherever they went. And we'll talk a little bit about what that preaching looked like next week. But they were speaking out. And the other thing is that they went everywhere. They went everywhere. It doesn't make a difference where God has his people. He's intending to just kind of spread us out. And I know there's important value in terms of being together. And that's important for support, encouragement, prayer, all those kinds of things. But God puts us in different spots. He's got you parked all over this place in this greater Wilkes-Barre area. Some of you have got a few blocks away. Some of you have got a few towns away. Some of you have got in terms of employment situations. Some of you have got in terms of family situations where he's got you parked as salt and light to, to be able to spread that word. But sometimes we get just very comfortable. John Piper um, a good, good preacher teacher made a comment on this that I thought was very good. He said this, Comfort and ease and affluence and prosperity and safety and freedom often cause a tremendous inertia in the church. Inertia is the tendency of something that is standing still to stay standing still and of something moving to keep moving the very things that we think would produce personnel and energy and creative investment of time and money in the cause of Christ and his kingdom instead produce, again and again, the exact opposite. Weakness, apathy, lethargy, self-centeredness, preoccup preoccupation with security. In other words, sometimes we just get very comfortable where we're at. And when we begin to pray, Lord, uh, alter my routine. Help me to be open to the different ways that you have in mind to, to, to move me, to let me know. Lord, help me to be willing to pray, do things that I'm not used to, and let the results up to you. In this Acts chapter 7 story and into the 8th chapters, we spilled over into it. There's a classic statement that often is used to describe Stephen. He's, 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 he's the first martyr of the church, uh, I guess is often referred to. And that classic statement about him is that the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. Uh, I think it was Tertullian, a church historian, who, who made that first observation at that way. Howard Hendricks put it a different way. Howard Hendricks is a contemporary guy. Well, he's probably not so contemporary. He's more, my, more a generation ago. But be that as it may, he made this one observation. He said, the church discovered that the greater the heat, the greater the expansion. When the pressure got on, then the church really expanded. It caused people to decide, who am I going to follow? Who am I going to serve? 
Few people very in, intentionally go about looking for hard stuff, tragedies in life. But things do have a way of finding their way to us. And whether it's persecution or just some resistance against the message of the gospel and somebody is now in your face because you chose to make a stand for Christ, those kinds of things find their way to you. But even those things can result in our growth and the chance for the glory of God to be displayed. Uh, I, I have a picture. Oh, yeah, I got it. Uh, you have a picture there with those ships, and they look very peaceful there in the harbor. But, you know, that's not, that's not what the ship was for. The ships weren't intended to stay in the harbor. But, the, but that's where they might park. But that's not what ships are for. Ships are intended to carry people and carry goods and carry truth and light to other people. And sometimes the waters can get a little bit rough along the way. They're safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are for. So perhaps for us at City Light Church, we need to ask God to help us to find the opportunities in the midst of hard spots that you may be dealing with today. I don't know what all they are. Um, but I believe that he longs to use us even when we're scattered to be salt and light, even when things get cranked up a notch in order that we might be his presence and unleashed for him, for the greater glory of God. How do you go from catastrophe to opportunity? You go by simply being obedient to the cause of Christ, not knowing what all may be ahead, but knowing the one who is able to go with you as you move ahead. Next week, we're going to come back to uh, a part of this, chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And we're going to look at a little bit more about the, what someone has described as the first missionary of the church. The man is Philip. We'll encounter him. We've already encountered him, at least in name. In the sixth chapter, we'll encounter him a little bit more as we talk about uh, his part in terms of uh, the, the message of, uh, of the gospel to a people uh, to whom he was making himself available. Join me as we pause for prayer. Will you do that? We come in the comfort of this nice, warm place and we probably like each other, and uh, we enjoy each other's fellowship. And yet, uh, sometimes there are things that come into our world that we don't see coming, we don't anticipate them, and they can cause our routine to get altered. It may be that you allowed events or circumstances to happen in an individual's life, life that led them to this place. It may be that you allowed circumstances and maybe some tough stuff to come in order that people might be turned to you and realize that they can't figure it all out in their own. They need someone else to help along the way. And you are the source, Father, for all that we need. You are the source, Jesus, for love and life. And you use your body to be of encouragement and help. I thank you, Father, that in the midst of even the catastrophes of life, you're still able to accomplish your purpose and your good. Help us to see that. Even if we don't see it at the beginning, help us to trust you 
that even in the end of things, you'll bring those things to pass for your greater glory. Now, Father, we go from this place today into a week that we don't know what it's going to bring us. We may have our plans. We propose, but you dispose. We may have our thoughts of how things should go, but you have ways of letting Monday come and things getting all topsy-turvy. In the midst of it all, may we keep our eyes upon you. And may we be willing workers where you put us for the greater glory of God, because we need to be people who take advantage of the altering of our routine with the opportunities you provide. Help us to see them for the greater glory of God. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. 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 Okay, your assignment is to head into the week and see what God will do. And may he bless you richly as you seek him and serve him. Greet one another as you go. God bless you.